On today's show, Mark Cuban shared in an interview that the Mavs were really close to pulling off a trade for Kobe Bryant. What if it actually happened? We're going to bring in another Mark, Mark Falwell, the voice of the Mavericks, to break it all down on today's Lockdown Mavs. I'm Luka Lentich, and this is Lockdown Mavericks I don't believe you shouldn't be here. And welcome. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Nick Engstead, media member and NBA channel manager for the Locked On Podcast Network. Thanks for making Locked On Mavs your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. But the best way you can help us grow the show is to comment anything below. And also, let us know. We're talking about the what if of Kobe and and Dirk today. How many titles would Dirk and Kobe have won? Just let us know in the comments. You can just put a number. Not two, not three, not four, whatever you want to say. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. They have you covered this season more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And joining me, multiple-time guest. You know him from any time you've ever watched a Mavericks game, probably in your life, for, for a lot of our listeners. Uh, the great Mark Falwell. He's also uh, calling FC Dallas games, all kinds of stuff. Mark Falwell, what you got for me? Nick, I got a lot for you. It's uh, great to be on what is, and I mean this with all sincerity, the best Mavs podcast that is out there. And this comes from somebody who hosts a Mavs podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some take some take that route, and then Tim Cato takes the route of, we're the only Dallas pod- Mag- Mavericks podcast. That's what he says for his. He just oh, man, <laughs> you guys know. Love what you and uh, Ike do, and so it's great to be back on. Uh, you know, call anytime. I love being on the show. And, uh, I, you know, I hope it's okay that your listeners know that we're recording this on Tuesday night. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. is, that, is that okay to say to your listeners? Oh, I mean, yeah. We said, we'll, we said it. We'll pull, pull the curtain way back. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, cheers. We're having a, uh, a homemade minty mojito tonight during Ooh. the podcast. So, very, very excited to be with you. You're calling FC Dallas Gate. I saw a clip of you calling a uh, a goal. I think that wasn't allowed or something like that. Or it was like the fifth goal, and it was like a, a it's like a huge deal. I haven't been to an FC Dallas game since I moved back. Give me the pitch and give our listeners a the pitch for what the atmosphere is like there because it's different. It's different than any other like DFW sporting event. Well, what's different about it is, uh, you know, look, it's the only professional soccer team in town, of course. That's that's number one. Uh, number two is that I think that, uh, you know, their marketing plan has been great this year. Uh, there's a new coach. Uh, there's new players. There's homegrown players like Jesus Ferreira who have really come into their own this year. And Jesus Ferreira is in, uh, in the middle, right in the middle of the golden boot, rate, golden boot race that is in Major League Soccer to be the top goal scorer in the league. He's tied for mm. third right now. Uh, a very, very good chance that Jesus Ferreira will be the starting forward for the United States men in the World Cup later this year in Qatar. So you've got a chance to see an integral part of the U.S. men's World Cup team in Qatar this year. If you come out and see FC Dallas, uh, you know, supporter culture is alive and well. Uh, There are great supporters groups out there. It's also a great place if a family wants to come to the game as well. So you can get whatever kind of atmosphere you want to have. And most importantly, uh, as with anything, uh, it's always better when the team is winning. And after a difficult season last year, Coach Nico Estevez has stepped in this year and helped the team turn around from being the third worst in the Western Conference last year to, as we speak right now, the third best in the Western Conference this year. You know, mm-hmm. headed towards a playoff spot, hopefully, and then maybe doing a little bit of damage when they get there. I have to ask, are the supporters still wearing scarves? Because last time I went, they were wearing, they do the scarves like they do like for European soccer teams. And I'm like, yeah, how are we doing this in the, in the dead of summer? 
I think that more than wearing them, they're putting them, they're holding them up. You know? hold them, so, yeah. so, so you, 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 yeah, you, you grasp both ends of a scarf and you hold it skyward like that. So, <laughs> you know, I think, I think that's a lot more of what you're seeing, but you see, uh, you know, they've got drums and music and chants and, uh, you know, coordinated things at particular parts of the game. And I think the atmosphere really has been great for games this year. Not to say that it wasn't great in the past, but, uh, you know, they've, they've been drawing more fans, uh, whether that's marketing, whether that's team success, I don't know. But attendance is as high as I can recall it in the 11 years that I've been doing FC Dallas games, consistent mm-hmm. attendance. Obviously, sometimes, you know, every year you're going to have a few sellouts, but there's been more this year. And, you know, it's just been a great atmosphere and the team is doing well and uh, doing well at home. And you've know, got a big game on Wednesday night against Philadelphia Union, who's the best team in the Eastern Conference and the very best defensive team in Major League Soccer. So if they get a result tonight, uh, tomorrow night, that would be great. There you go. Couple of newsy things before we get to our big what if today. Okay. Um, we we know about opening night with against the Suns. We know about Christmas Day against the Lakers. We know that Jalen Brunson's return is December twenty seventh. We now know uh, the big return of Boban, the much anticipated <laughs> return of Boban, November sixteenth. So we learned that about the schedule. And the Mavericks also reportedly are signing Tyler Hall from the Knicks G League team. He uh, was with the Westchester Knicks for the last three seasons. He shot 41% on, on threes over the three years, over 500 attempts. So the Mavericks will bring him in as a training camp spot. And uh, we'll see what happens with him. But it seems yeah. to be a good shooter to be brought in. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, well, we'll, we'll, yeah, go ahead. It seems to me like, Nick, what's what's uh, happening that's kind of interesting. And I guess there was a report from uh, Shams the other day about McKinley Wright. Mm-hmm. We spent a little bit of time with the Minnesota Timberwolves, I believe, this year. Played a handful of games for them. So I don't know that this is the case. I haven't really heard Nico or Jay Kidd address this, but the way things seem to be unfolding at this point is I wonder if they're going to have a competition for the last two-way spot over the course of training camp. I wonder if that's kind of what they're angling towards at this point. With Tyler Dorsey already having been one of the players signed to a two-way contract, uh, Moses Wright, I still feel like has to be a candidate after he was on a two-way deal for the final six weeks of last season. Uh, but, you know, nothing's really been reported about whether or not he's going to be in camp with the Mavs or anything like that after he had a couple of good games in summer league. But it seems at this point that maybe, uh, you know, maybe maybe some news will come out in a couple of days that completely disputes what I'm saying. And they sign somebody to it, actually do sign someone to one of the two way deals. But the way it sort of seems like it's unfolding right now is perhaps there's going to be a competition for the last two way spot during training camp. You can break news on here if you want to, Mark Follow. That's no, I don't. I, I'm, this is, I am absolutely, completely, baselessly speculating at this for sure, point. For sure. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm basing it on what I, uh, I guess the base of it is what I, the fact that they haven't signed anyone to the other two way spot and that we've seen, you know, uh, a little bit of news here in the last few days about some training camp signs. For sure. Speaking of baselessly speculating, let's talk about our big <laughs> what if today. It's uh, Mark Cuban was on uh, with Bleacher Reports. Taylor Rooks r- does really great interviews all the time. She came to Dallas and did an interview with uh, Mark Cuban. I think it's the whole thing I think is on the Bleacher Report app, but you have to find it in clips. I couldn't find the whole thing. It's on YouTube, different places uh, and everywhere. And Mark and Mark Cuban has talked about this throughout the years. But apparently in 2007, when Kobe Bryant was making his his trade demand, he wanted to go to the Clippers. He wanted to go to the Bulls. The Mavericks were not really mentioned in there, but Mark Cuban came out and said, hey, we were the ones that almost made a deal happen for Kobe Bryant. It was ready to go. He said it was it was a done deal. Mark Cuban said he was doing Dancing with the Stars at the time. Right. And he told some of the PAs, told some of the people working on the show that it was a done deal, that they were going to trade Josh Howard, Jason Terry, and a couple of firsts to uh, the Lakers for Kobe Bryant to pair him with Dirk 
Mm-hmm. It's one that just blows your mind because I, just, yeah. I can't imagine those two guys playing together. Uh, but going back to go back to like those years that you were, uh, you know, there with the Mavs, like what would that team have been like? And what would you have thought if that Kobe Bryant trade like actually went down? Oh, I think uh, that would have elevated the profile of the Mavs in the NBA, number one. And of course, Kobe and Dirk would have been instant title contenders. So I'm looking at the team that finished the 07 season. Uh, Josh Howard and Jason Terry, as you said, would have been part of the trade. Yeah. Um, so if you trade for Kobe, I mean, as we're going to go through all of the what ifs of this particular possible scenario, would now Kobe, I think, always was a big fan of Jason Kidd. And I think that there was a push to trade for Jason Kidd with the Lakers, as a matter of fact. I think Kobe was trying to convince Laker brass to trade Andrew Bynum for Jason Kidd. I yeah, believe th- this was about the time that they did the Chris Paul, like they tried the Chris Paul deal and that didn't go through. Then, then they did the, the Pau Gasol deal. So like they were trying all kinds of yeah. stuff to make moves. And I think Jason Kidd, there's, oh my gosh, that, and at that time there was a, a Lakers Photoshop for everybody. There was a Kevin right. Garnett one that kept getting thrown around. There was a Jason Kidd one for sure that kept getting circled around. Coming up, how many titles would Kobe and Dirk have won together? What was their competition back then in 2007, 2008? We'll talk about that. But before we do, imagine this. You're hanging out with some friends, putting back a few drinks, and a few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end, people start to head out, and you think of calling for a ride. You're like, ah, nah, I live nearby. I can drive slow enough. It's fine. I'm not that dizzy, all that. It's no big deal. What are the odds you get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance could go up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill someone. Everyone knows the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So, If you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. So that would have been the summer of 2007. And remember that the Mavs made the trade for Jason Kidd at the deadline in February of 2008. So would that have, you know, would they have continued to pursue that? Or do the Mavericks say, okay, we want uh, Devin Harris to be the guy that's going to ride shotgun along with Dirk and Kobe Bryant? Uh, what would have happened with Eric Dampier? I can't imagine that Kobe would have uh, been able to deal with Eric Dampier very well <laughs> and passes getting dropped and such. He's so, like, I just did this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jerry Stackhouse was the sixth man of the 0607 team. So I think that, you know, he still would have had a role here. Uh, Devin George was with the Mavs in 0607. Yeah. Uh, he was obviously a former Laker. So he had a relationship with Kobe. So that probably would have solidified his place with the team even further. Because remember that Devin George later that year was part of the initial trade for Jason Kidd, but because he was on a one-year deal with no options, then he had the right to veto the trade. He had the right to say no to a trade uh, because his bird rights would not have transferred to New yeah. Jersey. Like what Nerlis so Noel just had. But- <laughs> yeah. So the initial trade included Devin George and it got reported. Then all of a sudden there was this realization Devin George can say no and is saying no mm. to being traded. He doesn't want to be traded. So then remember, they had to rework the trade with Jason Kidd to involve the sign and trade of the then retired Keith Van Horn. And, uh, you know, that was that was obviously a really weird deal. Uh, but but Devin George, I think that would have, you know, Kobe had been here. That would have solidified his place with the team. 
And then the rest of the roster is Sagana Job, Greg Buckner, uh, Anthony Johnson was on the 06-017, Austin Crozier. Uh, you know, those are, you know, those are the kind of the players that you're looking at. And of course, JJ Borea, by the way, was a rookie on the 0607 team, having only played 33 games. So, so obviously he, I think he would have stayed around, but I think that you would have had, you know, the avenue to pursue signings of ring chasing veterans. For sure. Uh, you know, I, I don't have a good example of anybody who was kind of in that mode at that particular time. But think about what your competition would have been, you know, in the finals and that three-year run before uh, the Heatles were put together. And obviously the Mavs beat them in the 2011 finals. But you would have looked at the first incarnation, the first iteration, I guess I should say, of the Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett Celtics, who beat the Lakers in the finals that year. Uh, then in 2009, the Lakers defeated Orlando. So if you get through the Western Conference, then you're playing an Orlando team that had Dwight Howard, Hito Turkoglu, who was okay. You know, I think he had maybe one most improved player of the year uh, that particular season. They had Jameer Nelson, who had a really good season, but Jameer Nelson got hurt. He had a shoulder injury maybe right around the All-Star break because I think he had been named to the All-Star game but didn't actually play in it because of a pretty serious shoulder injury that he suffered right before the all-star break he came back and played in the finals but he wasn't you know the same player so you had you know if you had made it to the finals you would have had to feel really good about beating a 2009 orlando magic team that would have been your competition and then the lakers won in 2010 against another iteration of the celtics you know that same uh garnett pierce ray allen kendrick perkins etc team and that went seven games so you know i i think that uh it's hard to not envision considering what you were dealing with in the West. I mean, if Kobe and Powell Gasol and Lamar Odom and that group were going to be able to make it through the Western Conference, then you would have to think a Dirk-Kobe duo would make it through the Western Conference in a couple of those years, if not all three, like the Lakers did in 08, 09, and 10. And I think if you look at who they would have played in the finals, I think you have to feel really good about the chance to win for sure the Orlando finals and maybe one of the two finals that you would go up against Boston. So I think that probably would have been a couple of titles if you'd put Dirk and Kobe together. It's hard to argue against it, in my opinion. And you start to I started to look through the the Western Conference teams over those years too to say, okay, well, what was their competition? You know, you talked about it in the, in the actual finals that they had made it. That first season, the 2007-8 season was like Chris Paul, David West, Peja and Tyson Chandler's Hornets. There was the still Tim Duncan, yeah. Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, with Michael Finley's Spurs, the Suns. So, so, and if I remember correctly, those two teams faced each other in the second round in 08, and the Spurs mm-hmm. beat the Hornets in the seventh game in New Orleans. The home team had won every game in that series, mm-hmm. and then the Spurs won on the road in game seven, and the Lakers beat the Spurs in the conference finals. Yeah, the Hornets were like the two seed that year. It was, it yeah, was, that's correct. Was, yeah, because they beat Dallas in the 2-7 matchup. And then that Suns team of Nash, Amari, Sean Marion was yep. still there, and Shaq was there for a brief <laughs> brief time that season. Yep. But, that, was the, that was the 2010 finals. Uh, when when the Lakers beat the 2010 Western Conference Finals, I should say. Mm-hmm. The Lakers beat the Suns, and I think that Ron Artest made a really big shot in one of those games and then said in his post-game interview, oh. thank, he thanked his psychiatrist or something <laughs> like that. I mean, he really did. He really did. He passed. He yeah. passed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so remember who the Lakers beat in the 2009 Western Conference Finals. That was the team that had beat Dallas in the second round, the Carmelo Anthony uh, Kenyon Martin, Allen. I- no, I don't think Iverson was there. Cha- uh, it was. It was the year before. The year before Iverson was there. But yeah, yeah Chauncey the, Billups two, was the there. 2009 Nuggets were Mellow, Kenyon Martin, 
Uh, Nene was on that yeah. team and was a really, you know, a key part of it. Um, I can't remember who else was on that team, but those are the, those are the key figures that were on that team. Um, and so that's who, that's who Denver, uh, that's who the Lakers beat in the 2009 Western conference finals. So I think to, to add a little bit more to the discussion, yeah, you would look at who the Lakers were facing with Kobe and Pau Gasol in 08, 9, and 10. And if you said, okay, it's Kobe and Dirk, then yeah, you would have to feel good about them getting through getting through those teams and being in a position to be in the finals and, and win one or two championships. They run the table. They run the table with, the, with these teams, yeah. I think. You just look at some of the like some like some of their competition. Once you get to 2011, that's when the Mavs obviously made their run. Like you still have that Spurs team. You have the really young Thunder team that with yep. KD and Westbrook and Harden. And then the only other teams in that season in the West with 50 wins were the Mavs and the Lakers. And that team would have been fused into one with the, with this hypothetical. Right. So it's hard to not imagine them making like all four finals, like at least all yeah. four finals. Because the Lakers, <laughs> tra- the Lakers, instead of making this trade, uh, and this is the this is the part of the um, the Mark Cuban story that changes throughout the year. I, I read like several different iterations of this story, like the ESPN one from a couple years ago. There was right. one with JJ Reddick two years ago. Then there was this one with, with Bleacher Report. And um, Mark Cuban, in different different instances, said that either Jerry Buss, Jerry West, or Mitch Kupchak. After Kobe Bryant, like they made this trade and they had this deal done that one of those three figures, which are the the big figures with the Lakers, it was you right. know, Jerry West is obviously a legend, was like a consultant there at the time. Jerry Buss, the owner. Mitch Kupchak was the GM at the time. Like one of those guys um, like talked Kobe out of this whole thing, like talked him right. out of the whole thing, the trade to the Clippers, the trade to the, the Bulls or the, this trade to the Mavericks, apparently that had gone through. And I just find that interesting that it was one of those guys that called him and convinced him. But uh, then, then the Lakers actually then trade for Pau Gasol. They make the next three finals and win two yeah. of them. Like it's- yeah, they made the trade at, at approaching the deadline when the Mavericks made the Jason Kidd trade at the 2008 trade deadline. I think a couple of weeks before that, Pau Gasol had been traded to the Lakers. As I recall, I mean, maybe you can look this up, Nick, uh, or one of us can look it up, but I think that the NBA world was very pissed off about that Pau Gasol trade. Oh, for sure. Because it was, it was very one-sided. I mean, the Lakers sent very little in terms of meaningful talent out towards Memphis at that point in time. My, uh, my young self was a very big Lakers fan and <laughs> having been born in LA. And I remember that trade very vividly. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, it was, uh, like, was it Kwame Brown? Maybe they said Kwame Brown was like the main player. They sent Javaris yeah. Crittenton in it. Who was like, who now is infamous for the wizards gun in the locker room situation. Right. Um, right. But Marcus Saul was in it, but nobody knew who Marcus Saul was. He was Powell's brother, and they were like switching yeah. places. But he was like chunky, not going to be very good, like 50th pick in the draft, Marcus Saul. Yeah, exactly. And the Aaron McKee, who was like their point guard who had been good a while ago. And then like one, like two picks. It was two firsts, and that was it. And mm-hmm. everyone was like, how did they pull off this deal? And like, how did the Lakers do it again? It was just all that eye rolling. And Kind yeah. of the same eye rolling that happened with the the Kevin Durant to the Warriors thing, and that is maybe going to happen again, but but we'll see. Yeah, so I, I think that uh, you know there's 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 little doubt in my mind that 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 Maverick team. Uh, it would be interesting to know, you know, again what the personnel would have looked like. Does Devin Harris stay here? Do you pursue Jason Kidd in a trade? What other player acquisition avenues open up because you would get ring chasing veterans? Mm. But I think that the other thing about it, when you think about it, is look at the domino, other domino effects that that might have had. Okay, so Kobe gets here. Um, 
you know, does Avery, you know, Avery was the coach. Yeah. Would Avery have stayed on if they had a year where they didn't win and they had to make a coaching change? Would Rick Carlisle have been the choice? Could you see Rick and Kobe Bryant coexisting? You know, would that have been something that would have worked? Uh, if you don't trade for Jason Kidd, then you don't establish the long-term relationship. And so would Jason Kidd in 2022 even be the coach of the Mavericks? If you had done that trade and depending on how they would have approached Jason Kidd as a, as a potential player acquisition back in 2007, 2008. So I think uh, the amazing thing about it is the other domino effects that, that, that could have happened. Coming up, we'll continue our what if on Kobe Bryant with Dirk Nowitzki. What would happen to the coaches? What would happen to uh, Kobe and Dirk's legacy, their career? And then we'll also talk about uh, Kobe Bryant's, Trade request. It was wild, even more wild than the Durant one or any of the ones we've seen recently. We'll talk about that coming up. But before we do, let me tell you about Bet Online. It is the best place to check out the odds and lines in sports. You can go check it out right now. They have Mavs odds, they have everything that you'd want for the upcoming season. They're even going to have Eurobasket. Oh, Eurobasket coming up right now. They have it. They have group. Uh, oh, group. Wait, odds to win Eurobasket. Just to, just the odds overall. Serbia plus three fifty. Slovenia, let's go. Me Slovenci plus four hundred. They're number two right now. And Greece is plus four fifty. France plus five fifty. Spain plus nine hundred. So Slovenia, the number two odds to win EuroBasket according to Bet Online. You can also check out the uh, Group B winner. Slovenia is plus uh, one twenty five to win that with France at one eighty five. Right after them, you can also bet on the WNBA. The, let's see, our Dallas Wings are, oh, the Sun are a minus 800 favorite. That's not the biggest odds. The, the Aces are a minus 2,500 favorite. But the Sun are a series, against, a series favorite against the Wings. The Wings, you can put down 100 bucks, you can win 580 on the Wings. So go check it out. It's been online. It's where the game starts. You know, and the other thing, too, is at that point, if you win a couple of titles, okay, so then what does, you know, and then if, if the team starts to, you know, as, as all dynasties do, if you start to kind of like go downhill a little bit, you know, what does Kobe do? Does Kobe want to retire as a Maverick? Or does he say, I still want to keep ring chasing and we can't win here, so, you know, move me on to the next place. Mm. Um, that would have been really, you know, one of the great things that we admire about Dirk and Kobe were that they were one team guys for the duration of their career. How would we look back at the legacy of Kobe Bryant if he had been traded to Dallas? And, you know, I, I mean, look, if you win titles, I think that's, you know, that's the bottom line. I mean, that's what you're, that's what you're chasing in this business. So maybe it wouldn't have been that big of a thing in terms of his legacy, but it might have. You know, I don't know. Um, but there are just, you know, beyond just how many titles would the Mavericks have won, if in fact they would have. And I, you know, I think we're both in agreement they would have. Uh, the the other offshoots of that in terms of how it affects Avery, Rick, Jason Kidd. Uh, if you don't win a championship the first year and you change the coach, do you have to change Donnie Nelson? You know, you end up having to make, you know, because there's so there would be so yeah. much pressure. And if you came short, uh, I mean, God forbid, if you didn't even make the finals, if you had lost in the conference finals and think of the pressure and think of the, you know, the, the, the moves that the Mavs might've had to make from a front office perspective. So it could have had, you know, uh, cataclysmic impacts throughout the organization. If that had gotten off, if they had made that trade and let's say it gotten off on the wrong foot. 
it's interesting to me to look back and think about like Dirk's legacy in, in all this. Like if Dirk right. had it, because Kobe would have joined Dirk, so it would have been it would have kind of been like a weird LeBron joining Wade. Like you know, it would have been yeah. that type of of situation. And, and Dirk didn't have a title yet. That right. 2011 title is just so revered by so many people. Uh, not just even Mavs fans, like outside of Mavs fans, people look at that as like that's the perfect title. There, there may not be another title out there that is yeah, as perfect as that sure. run and that win for Dirk with his legacy. Like if you're planning a Hollywood movie about about Dirk's story about how they lose in 06 and then the 07 and then he goes to the you know he goes to the outback in Australia with his, <laughs> with his trainer and comes yeah. back a new man, you know, like all that stuff comes back and you don't think he's gonna win it in the 2011. They beat the be- the best team that had ever been assembled. Like it's just such a Hollywood story, and I wonder if, I wonder how we would have looked back at Dirk's career if he would have, he would have won probably two, three titles, mm-hmm. but he wouldn't have that one where he won it. Like he was the one superstar on that team that, that won it. Well, ever since we texted today and said that we were going to talk about this, I have thought about that very aspect of it a lot, and I think, see, the thing about it is this: is we wouldn't have had the knowledge of what that perfect title would be like. Mm. You know, we think about it because we know what it was like. And so we revere it so much. And let's face it, that was, I mean, it was, as you said, the perfect title. And, you know, we look back at it and it's just such a treasured memory. And it's probably better. I mean, it's better than having won it the other way. But I think at the time, if you put yourself back into the 2007 Maverick fan team, personnel, employee mindset of heartbreaking 06 finals loss, the disaster of what happened against Golden State in 07, I think at that point, you're just so hungry for a championship that you know, especially since you wouldn't have had the other championship to kind of compare it to and have the knowledge of it. I think everybody would have been just so relieved and excited to win a title that I don't know that it changes legacies a whole lot. You know, we only have Mm. this great thing to compare it to of Dirk finally getting over the hump in 2011 and doing it the quote unquote right way. Uh, But I think the bottom line is, you get into this league and you're pursuing when you're an elite player, you're pursuing winning championships. And to me, it's hard to kind of really ever have a championship legacy that is tarnished or uh, substandard or whatever, whatever description or adjective you might want to put on it. So it all worked out for the best because Kobe stayed with one team for his career and won multiple titles and Dirk stayed with one team for his career and won that perfect title in 2011. But I don't think any of us would be like crying in our, in our, in our minty (laughs) mojito. uh, If Kobe had been traded here and the Mavericks had won two titles in 2009 and 2010 that way. Yeah, and and you think some people say like, oh, that that 2011 title counts as like two titles. You consider it like it has that much weight if you were gonna weigh titles. I think Bill Simmons has the thing where he says the MVP trophy should weigh a certain amount for how much it means, right? Like it should be a 50 pound trophy, a 10 pound trophy. Like maybe the 2011 <laughs> weighs a little bit more in those. And if they win two or three titles, that it, it would have equaled out in his in Dirk's legacy. So yeah, it may have just like all worked out the same. The thing. Well, okay, here's okay. what I always say to people about titles. The difference between two titles and one title is not remotely comparable to the difference that exists between one title and no and titles. Yeah. 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 So yeah, ask Charles Barkley. Yeah. So two would have been great. Uh, you know, I don't know that 
that I, I don't know that I necessarily agree with Bill Simmons and that one counts for two or anything like that. It's like, you've won. And when you've won one, you know, I, I mean, look, it's great to win four and five and six, obviously. And, and, and uh, the late great Bill Russell, you know, who is on our minds right now, having won 11 and being the ultimate winner. But the bottom line is you win one and that changes your, the entire narrative about your career everything about your legacy, everything about how people look at you in terms of your contributions to the game. So, mm. um, you know, I don't know that I, I count one as more than, than just one, but the bottom line is winning one is a complete and total game changer in terms of the perception of your career. The other thing I thought about in all this is the relationship between Kobe and Powell was so contested at certain times where like Powell had this kind of the same thing as Dirk, where it was the, he's this soft European guy. Can he win at the highest level? Can he, can he do it? And that would, that would have been the narrative with Dirk if they had made this trade. Cause the, you know, his MVP wouldn't have happened yet or, yeah, no, he had, he had his MVP year. Yeah, the MVP he lost season the first was round. So, seven. Yeah. so it would have just been he can't get over the hump. You know, he's soft. I think that Kobe would have had a, just a little bit more respect for Dirk coming in, and I wonder if that would have helped in the, this whole thing because he Dirk was a more accomplished player. He, I, but yeah. I don't know if he had if Kobe had the respect for Dirk yet because obviously there's so many quotes about about Dirk from Kobe. And then there's the, the clip where Dirk hits that shot right in front of Kobe yeah. on the bench when he like points at him and is like that guy right there. Like, I don't know if that had happened yet, but I wonder how that would have worked out. And it eventually all worked out with him and Powell, but I wonder how him and Dirk would have played out as a duo. I, I think that given Kobe, you know, I, I was never around Kobe. All I can tell you is what people have told me is that Kobe of course was a relentless, tireless worker. And as we know, Nick, Dirk was a relentless, tireless, indefatigable worker, you know, when it came to his approach to the game. So I think that Kobe would have, once he got here, if he didn't already know it, once he got here and saw it, I think that would have cemented a really good bond between the two of them because Kobe was just such an animal when it came to work ethic and working on his game. And I think that he would have had uh, instant respect once he got here and saw that Dirk's approach was essentially the same thing. And, you know, I I don't know. I wasn't around. I think Powell was a great worker as well. I was never around him day to day to know, uh, you know, and who knows if that was was any part of their uh, contentiousness, as you described it. But, you know, I mean, the bottom line is Powell could play and got the job done and, you know, came through in a lot of big moments for the Lakers during those titles in 2009 and 2010. It was, uh, yeah, from what I remember, you know, it's, it was never about like the pow didn't work. Like sh- it wasn't like the sh- the Kobe Shaq thing. It was more like Kobe just had such a high like bar that he would call for players. Like he, yeah. he learned from Michael Jordan, right? And Michael Jordan would, would call people to such a high level that anytime pow was in the wrong spot or the wrong spot that Kobe thought was the wrong spot, <laughs> they would get into it and there would be a look that Kobe shot him. And uh, yeah, it just would have been interesting to see. Well, that. didn't, um, you know, when, when things started to kind of, trend down for the Lakers. So I guess this would have been the 2012-13 season. This would have been, you know, Powell was still there and they brought Nash and Dwight Howard on. And, you know, this, that this obviously... This will be that, fun. It yeah, was, that whole season it was not. blew up. <laughs> but, but didn't... Uh, wasn't there one point at time in that year when they were struggling and uh, Powell Gasol was talking about their struggles and the difficulties of it? 
and all the challenges that he felt like that they were facing. And Kobe said in the media that we need to stop crying and put our big boy pants on. <laughs> I believe there was something. Yes. Kobe, somebody <laughs> used the term, we need to put our big boy pants on. And I thought that that was Kobe talking about something that Powell had said about all the difficulties that they were having. Oh, yeah. And so, of course, the funny thing that happened with that is uh, our, our, our good friend down in Houston. I don't know if you've ever had Craig Ackerman on on any of your podcasts before. You know, the, you know Craig Ackerman at the time was the radio voice of the Rockets. And now since Bill Worrell is retired, Craig is the television voice of the Rockets and does a fantastic job and is very, very talented. You know, consider him a good friend. And I happened to listen like right after that, that quote had happened. The Rockets were playing a home game against the Lakers. And the Lakers got down there and it was a very close game. Uh, and I think maybe the Lakers kind of actually blew it in the last minute. It was a game that looked like they were about to win and they ended up blowing it. Houston won. And right after that big boy pants quote came out, <laughs> Craig Ackerman on the Houston Rockets broadcast said after Houston kind of improbably won this game and the Lakers just pooped their big boy pants. <laughs> <laughs> And I was oh. like, man, that is a hell of a call for, radio, for <laughs> NBA radio right there. I like it. That's very impressive. So the last thing that stood out to me in this, was, well, there's a million things. But the one thing I wanted I wanted to share was uh, how public Kobe's trade request was. Like, I, there's a lot of people right now that are they're talking about the Kevin Durant trade request and all these guys. You know, Andre Goodell just had a quote recently like, hey, you should just buck up and, and go and, and play there. Like you went you decided to go there and make it happen. And uh, and people talk about oh there's just these these trade requests and guys just want to leave all the time and can't they? Kobe went on Stephen A. Smith's radio show in New York okay. on. Yeah, I don't remember the circumstances of the trade request, so I'm excited to hear this. So that it had been it had been circulating around, and Kobe went on Stephen A. Smith's show, like his New York radio show, and said, "I quote, I would like to be traded." Yeah, tough as it is to come to that conclusion, there's no other alternative, you know. You imagine if if Kevin Durant did that, like he goes on JJ Reddick's podcast and is like, "Yeah, I like I like to be traded like that." And then, like later, a, a couple days later, I think he goes on Dan Patrick's show on ESPN and he walks it back because between the interview with Stephen A. Smith and Dan Patrick, he had talked to Phil Jackson, that's the coach of the Lakers at that point, sure. and he had like talked him back from that. But I just found that quote on on a radio show like that so interesting because so. At that point in time, I don't recall, you know, you get fined now. If you make a trade request public, players are fined for doing that. And I wonder, I guess maybe we hadn't reached that place where we were, where the league was, excuse me, fining players for public trade requests. I don't, I don't, I don't know, but I wonder, you know, that's another thing that sort of changed the dynamic of that. Now, in the case of Durant, he's never publicly made a trade request. This has all been that, you know, reports that this is what he said behind the yeah, scenes. Not on his own. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't gone out on J.J. Reddick's podcast or yeah. his own podcast or Draymond's podcast or whatever. And or not our locked on Warriors or locked on Mavs. Oh, my God. Locked if, on Nets, whatever. Kevin Durant went on Draymond Green's <laughs> podcast and demanded a trade. It would break everything, I think. That it would, would, oh it would break Twitter. <laughs> oh, my goodness. If he did that. <laughs> So I think that's, you know, that's obviously a little bit of the different thing that's happening these days is that, you know, people now know that you can't make public trade requests or you can't even have your your representation make a trade request right. publicly. Can they do it privately? Sure, they can. But but publicly, a trade request results in a fine now. So that's another that's a that's that's something that sort of changes the dynamic with it a little bit more compared to what Kobe was doing in 2007. 
This is a fascinating what if. It, 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 it breaks is. my brain a little bit. It all worked out in the end, I think, for both parties. Kobe wins it a couple did. titles. Dirk wins his title. Uh, but what could have been? What could have been if they had been traded and, and been together? Uh, and, and it's just, like I said earlier, to me, it's not just about the titles, but it's about all of the other ancillary effects. What players come here? Yeah. What players get, you know, beyond... Jason Terry and Josh Howard, who were the two people who were that Mark has said over the years that would have been the players traded to the Lakers. I mean, by the way, what would that have meant for their careers, respectively? Yeah, yeah. How would that have changed uh, positively or negatively their career arc? Uh, but, you know, what happens with other players? Like I said, would ring chasing veterans, I think they would have, you know, what kind of ring chasing veterans would have would have come upon the scene here in Dallas? What would have happened with the coaching situation? If you make a change, who's the person that gets brought in? Does Phil Jackson end up here? You know, <laughs> I mean, um, you know what could have happened in the front office? Uh, you know, as I said earlier, if you trade for Jason Kidd, you know, maybe you still trade for Jason Kidd because Kobe liked him. But if you don't, then, you know, uh, 15 years later is Jason Kidd even here because because of the relationship that he ended up cultivating here in his time. I mean, it just has so many other potential ancillary effects just beyond the debate of winning a championship that it's uh, it makes for an endlessly uh, delicious hypothetical to discuss. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And we'll do it as many times over the years as, as we can on this show. <laughs> as uh, long as it keeps getting brought up, then why not? <laughs> He's Mark Falwell. You can listen to him on the FC Dallas um, broadcast right now. And, of course, when Mavs basketball comes back in like two months, right? September, October, two months. From uh, yeah, we're just uh, we're just over two months away. So uh, two months and a handful of days away from it getting started. And, uh, you know, obviously very, very excited about it. It's been an interesting offseason. Some good, as we know, some not so good, as we know. And. Uh, I just did another podcast tonight, Nick, and I said, you know, this is a really uh, interesting offseason in the league because most of the time by August the 16th, as we record this, business is done around the league. But yeah. there's still this like sort of specter of what's going to happen with Durant, what sort of domino effects will result if Brooklyn ends up trading Durant, where does he go and what other moves end up happening because of that. And then you have the Donovan Mitchell situation. And if Donovan Mitchell gets moved to New York, then of course we would have to assume at that point that that makes instantaneously Bogdanovich, Clarkson, Beverly, Conley. If those players aren't already available, if you trade Donovan Mitchell, if you're Utah, then surely all of those players are within the snap of a finger. They're available. For sure. So uh, there's, there's, you know, and the Mavericks look, not that they're going to get in on, on Mitchell or Durant, but certainly if other dominoes start falling because of those trades, then I still think that there's a real chance to improve the team in that regard. I mean, look, at this point, trades are the only way that they can meaningfully change the team because the free agents are off the market. They don't have anything other than signing guys to a minimum. Uh, so at this point, trades are it. So that's that's still something that's kind of like lurking out there. That's something that could uh, change the calculus of how we look at the good and the bad so far of the Mavs offseason. Oh, it's what we're sitting here waiting for. We've been waiting for <laughs> what's the next move? What's the next move? We just we've been waiting on it too long. We'll see if it happens before the season starts. Mark Frawl, thank you so much for joining us. You got it, Nick. Can't wait to be back on again. <laughs>